Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. It's a good day to be here. Uh, yeah. So as you noticed, um, when you started looking at your bulletin this morning, um, I am talking about sex, and uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Ross goes out of town, uh, he's out of the country in Russia, and Jeremy stands up and he starts to talk about sex. What's happening at Quest? Yeah, this is going to be great. Um, so uh, let me just put a disclaimer out there for all of our students who are in the room. There will be some adult content here. So if you're in middle school, you may want to go to class. Uh, if you're in high school, <laughs> use earmuffs. Okay. <laughs> Uh, today, today should be interesting. Um, I think that you will enjoy yourself and hopefully you're going to be encouraged. That's, this is my hope. You know, we're, we're going to learn something today about our creator and, um, uh, the creator that gave us this most awkward form of self-disclosure. And, uh, so I'm, I'm excited. And, and, uh, when I was preparing and thinking about what I was going to share, I didn't really know where to begin. And, and I didn't want to break any confidence that I have with my wife. So I asked her, I said, Alexis, you know, I got to talk about sex and marriage. Uh, what do you, what do you think I ought to, you know, where should I begin with this? And she just like, with no hesitation at all, she said, I think we need it. And, uh, I thought, okay, she's on board. Um, I'm going to go wherever I need to go this morning with this message. So here we go. Let me assure you, uh, I'm not going to try to alienate anyone, um, uh, because of your life situation. However, I do want to keep our focus on two things this morning, and that is sex and marriage. And unfortunately, I realize that this means that we're going to leave out part of the conversation that may deal with divorce. Um, it may also, uh, we're going to leave out parts of the conversation that deal with singleness. And, uh, both of these things I think are very important for us to discuss, to, to touch on, but I want to leave those for other messages later on. Uh, so, and I know that there are going to be people in the room who are going to like hear what I have to say and they're going to be like, Jeremy, you know, come on, you're telling me about all this wonderful stuff and I have to wait to experience it. Ah, frustration. I always feel bad when I talk to students about sex, uh, because it, it inevitably happens. Like I'll be talking to the guys and I can just see this look of pain on their face when they're, you know, they're, they're realizing this is going to be so awesome. But Jeremy said, I can't have it until I'm married. Oh, it's so frustrating. Um, it's true though. Uh, I'm also aware of the pain. See, it's already awkward in here, which is great. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm also aware of the pain that a message like this could cause someone who has chosen a, a different life path than, than what God calls us to. And, and, and I want to begin today by first suggesting that even though a person, um, like myself, my history is a little checkered in this area. Um, a person who may not have followed the biblical principles around sex and marriage, it, that does not mean that God cannot restore a person or a relationship so that they can experience blessing in their marriage. Uh, a little story. About 10 years ago, I was in an event with my youth group in Kentucky. And uh, we were at this giant Christian music festival, and we were sitting uh, on this lawn uh, listening to one of the speakers who was giving a message at this event. We were having a great time, and, and I was there with this 
one young gal who had just given her life to Jesus. And the whole weekend, she kept telling me about how amazing it was to experience the community of uh, Christians around her. And, and she was just really enjoying this new understanding of, of life as a Christian. And um, as we were sitting there listening to the speaker, he was about to take us into this piece of the message where we were going to receive communion. And I kept thinking, this is a great opportunity to really teach her why we do this. And as I was preparing my thoughts in my head about how I was going to introduce this subject to her, I noticed that she was crying. And it wasn't, she wasn't crying tears of like overwhelming joy or anything like that. She was really hurt by something that was going on. So I asked her, I said, what, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she just pointed uh, to this person in front of her and, and ultimately to their t-shirt. And, and I read this t-shirt and it, and it said, if you've, have, if you've had sex before marriage, you're no different than a car in a used car lot. And, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of uh, reading between the lines to gather that this girl felt like she, you know, couldn't enter into the fullness that God had for her. And I want to be very clear here today uh, that the shaming tactic that was used by that t-shirt company was absolutely wrong, Okay. Uh, it was wrong theologically, it was wrong relationally, and there's really no place for it in this conversation today. I will teach my children abstinence, and I promise you I will teach your children abstinence as well. Um, that is a commitment that I have uh, to, to my position as a youth pastor. Um, but I do not believe for one moment that virginity is the be-all and end-all of perfect sexual intimacy within marriage. I think that God can restore, God can heal, God can um, pick us up from the mistakes that we have made. So the truth is that while sex opens us up to deep emotional and spiritual connection with another person, and I'm going to go deeper into this discussion uh, in a moment, we can, ex- still, we can still experience redemption, mercy, and healing that comes through the blood of Christ that will cover any and all of the sins uh, that we enter into. Our sex life and our marriage, they will not necessarily be destroyed because we step out of the design that God has for us. But we may have to take special steps uh, to get back to a place of healing in our lives but we will not be left out of God's marvelous plan. We're certainly not used cars or damaged goods when we make mistakes like that. So what are we going to talk about today? Uh, For the most part, um, this is, I think, one of the most fascinating subjects in all of Scripture. And I'm not an expert. Like I said before, I've gotten much of this wrong in my life. So today I simply want to talk about what I've read from other people and some of the things that I have thought about. And it comes down to this. Uh, God's design for marriage and sex are important to us because when we encounter our marriage partner in love, trust, humility, and even awkwardness, the way that God calls us to, uh, that we're given a much clearer picture of the character and person of God. When two become one, we see the most pure representation of our Creator. That's exciting. But when we pervert the design of marriage and of sex, his image is then distorted and our perception of God deviates from what is true. And this is sort of just my own speculation, but I believe that our culture's push for a casual sexual environment has challenged and distorted people's perception of God. 
Of course, there are tons of other contributing factors uh, at play here, but uh, I think it can be easily argued that when we try to make something um, like sex, that, that God designed to be a sacred act between two people who not only love one another, but are also committed to each other and selflessly uh, committed to each other, I should say. When we take that and we turn it into something that's ex- as accessible as our hookup culture has done, we reduce not only the sanctity and commitment of marriage, but also the authority, the sovereignty, and the love of God. Just the other day, um, I was reading an article in the New York Times uh, written by Natalie Kitrioff, and uh, it pointed out some interesting t- statistics uh, that were discovered through some research on some college students. And uh, they discovered that uh, in our hookup culture, which is, you know, the casual, non-committal sexual relationship culture, women are less likely to reach orgasm because they do not feel as free or safe in that moment and because they lack connection with their partner. Now, what's interesting uh, to note about this, as I was reading, is that uh, sex is not as good as it can be when we engage in it casually. And there was this amazing quote that one of the students made. And, and the article goes on to say, and I'm going to quote here, some women confronted with these roadblocks, that being sex isn't as good as it could be, they are redefining casual sex and the physical pleasure that they expect from it. Sex without strings has carnal and emotional benefits that don't depend on reaching orgasm, they say. It's just sort of like, and this is interesting, It's just sort of like having the experience and having somebody that you can call or you can like, whose house you can spend the night in if you don't feel like you want to go home. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, I think a lot of time in almost, it's weirdly irrelevant whether or not the sex is actually good. That is sad. That is a sad statement. And apparently if you have sex before marriage, you have really bad grammar. I just want to caution all of you. It saddens me that this is how people view sex. That was a good joke. I need to write that down. I'm going to keep that. Just kidding. I can't write it with my finger. I think it's easy for people to make things more accessible for them. This is what we do, right? Um, What I've learned in my own journey is that when we submit to the plan that God has for us in our relationships and in our sex life, there's a far more fulfilling experience for us, an experience of ecstasy that is profoundly life-changing. Interestingly enough, I don't think that what we experience here in our culture today and what this article speaks to is very far off from what Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church church. Uh, Our primary text today is going to come from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, We're going to be in verses 12 through 20. Uh, Feel free to open your Bibles with me. The words will be on the screen in a moment. But Paul is addressing here the cavalier attitudes of not only the Corinthian culture, but also the church that was following the culture. And he's, he's talking to these people who were okay with things like a man sleeping with his mother-in-law. That's sick, okay? But this is what he's having to deal with. There was not only a casual attitude towards sex, but also a church that was absorbing a culture of disregard for God's design. Let me just pray for us real fast before we uh, begin to read this text. Lord God, thank you so much for what you have created for us. God, we are grateful that you want us to enjoy our partners, our spouses, 
that we can enjoy sex, that, that marriage is such a beautiful thing. And God, I pray today, Holy Spirit, I pray that as we read this text, as these words come deep into our mind and our hearts, that we would be transformed, that we, we would experience you in a new way, and that we would, Lord, be challenged to love the way that you call us to. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. So Paul begins uh, this section of Scripture by quoting a couple of the common sayings of the culture. And then he refutes them. So we're going to begin in verse 12. Uh, the, verse, or the, the, the Scripture is here on the screen. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. And then Paul quotes this thing again. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body. But a fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. So, Paul makes a couple of interesting points here, but I, I really just want to focus on three this morning. So we're, we're actually going to begin at the end in verse 20, because I think this statement that Paul makes speaks so boldly to his other comments. He begins, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, I've spent a majority of my life uh, under this assumption that our bodies are flesh is bad. That's kind of what I was taught in the church. And, and, and quite frankly, there's, there's scripture that kind of speaks to that. You know, Jesus uses this language. Paul uses it in other places that our flesh is weak. And, and on the surface, if we read that and we don't understand what's really going on, uh, it, can, it can really lead us down some very distract, destructive paths in regards to our bodies. Here's the truth. The image of the naked body is beautiful. Did you know that? It should be yeah, nodding your heads. Yes, it is. It's beautiful. I, I don't want to make anyone blush here. That's not my goal. Um, <laughs> but just think about it. We, we can gaze and study all kinds of different parts of nature. You know, we can stare into the sky and deep into a lake or an ocean and study it until there's nothing left to study, right? You know, we can stare endlessly at, at some of the creatures on the earth and we take them in. But when we look at the body of our naked spouse. I don't know about you, but for me, it's like we can't quite see all of it because it's so bright and beautiful. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you guys ever experienced that? And yet, even though we can't see all of it, we can't look away. 
It's consuming and shining, and the curiosity that drives us to look at it will stay with us. This is truth. Our bodies are not at all offensive to God. It's no wonder that we can engage so deeply with the naked body, for He created us in His own image. We, man and woman alike, were created in the very image of God. And God Himself chose to come to us incarnate. Right? How can the flesh be bad? It's not our physical bodies that are the problem. It's not our nakedness. It's not our flesh. No, it's really who we allow ourselves to be led by. So verse 20 punctuates Paul's argument with the statement that Jesus broke his physical body so that we could experience life everlasting. We were bought at a price. Now, will we live up to that sacrifice? Because the alternative really is just to live like the culture. And then, of course... You know, we jump back to the very beginning of this in verse 12, where Paul is refuting some of the common sayings of the Corinthian culture. Essentially, what he's saying here is, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the culture, which is perverse, or will you follow the Spirit? It's interesting to note here that we are so curious about the naked body because, quite frankly, it's a picture of the image of God, right? But even our curiosity can become perverted. You know, when we stare, when we gawk, when we objectify the image of God, when we can't get enough, and so we make cheap copies to look at that we think will satisfy our desire. I mean, that's essentially what pornography is. A perversion of a perfectly natural and healthy curiosity that God put into us. So sad. So Paul challenges these statements that the church is making, and he calls them out for what they are. The Corinthians, they wanted to live according to their desires. When their stomachs were hungry, give me food. You know, that's what they're saying. When, when they wanted to have sex, I will find someone to have sex with. They, they wanted to separate their bodies from their spirits. And, and I don't know, when I read this, um, And I hope that this reference from 1999 doesn't throw you. But all I hear is like the Bloodhound Gang singing that one song that they were famous for about us being mammals. And since we're nothing more than animals, let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. Anyone? Some of you are now singing that horrid song in your head. I apologize for that. There's tons of cultural references to what Paul is speaking to that are current in our day. You don't have to listen to too much music to get it. Right? People think that our bodies are just meant to be used however we want, and blah. It's sick, and it infuriates me because it violates not only the very image of God, but it also confuses people as to what their very nature is. You know, we think our spirit can operate separate from our body and still have integrity. But Paul is saying, no. This is not how it works. The body and the spirit are both meant for the Lord. And in one of the most telling passages about human sexuality in all of Scripture, Paul asserts that when we join sexually with someone, we will too join with them spiritually. Paul says, Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, 
verse 16. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. The point here is that as a Christian, you belong to Jesus. You are a part of His body. This is a union of spirit which can be damaged or threatened by inappropriate unions of the flesh. You cannot belong simultaneously to Jesus and to a prostitute for there is no casual sexual encounter. What you do sexually, you do with your whole self, not just your sexual organs. What you are and do as a Christian, you are and do as your whole self, not just the spiritual part of you. So what Paul says is run, flee, shun immorality, shun fornication, get out of there as quickly as you can because if you are not committed to allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, not only in your spirit but in your body, then the temptation to gawk and to then objectify the image of God is too great. So get out of there as quick as you can. My wife, uh, when she talks about sex with teenagers, she always uses this passage to, de- to demonstrate how difficult it is for us to separate from someone that we've had sex with uh, because the two people become one flesh. So what she'll do is she'll take two pieces of paper, a blue piece and, and a pink piece. Usually it's cut into a heart, but um, I'm not as crafty as my wife. And uh, she, she'll glue them together with Elmer's glue. And this is kind of like a, a television cooking show. I've already done it so that we don't have to wait for it to all, you know. Um, but so she'll take these two things and, and then she'll glue them together. And, and then she'll pull them apart just to point out how much when two people come together. This is just Elmer's glue, by the way. That stuff is radical because it is holding this paper like monster. My point is here that even though you come apart, there's still pieces of you stuck to the other. And so what she says is these little pieces, or in this case, this big piece, these pieces stay with you. They're pieces of the boy that stay with the girl after you've had sex. And ultimately, you give part of you away and you keep part of the other person. And those lingering pieces become emotional, spiritual, and relational scars that have to be dealt with before a couple can experience complete fullness in marriage. That's the big danger here, right? There's nothing casual about sex. We may want it to be, but it's not. It can't be. It is deeply spiritual. And that is a blessing. And then when Paul says the two shall become one flesh, he's quoting the Old Testament, which is Genesis 2, um, verses 18 through 25. Listen to this. The Lord God said, it is not good that the, <clears throat> excuse me, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper um, as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found one 
uh, as a helper, as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. Then he took one of his own ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, uh, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man there was, this one was taken. Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, I'm glad that Paul brings us here in this discussion about casual sexual encounters and the deeply spiritual implications of our fleshly form. Because when we look deeper into the Genesis text, we find something so beautiful and compelling about the completion of man in the form of woman and how their union is a remarkable picture of our divine creator. This is where it gets really good. So after surveying and naming all of the creatures that God made, Adam still found no suitable helper. And so God put Adam's, puts Adam into this deep sleep and he performs this operation on him. And, and then as he wakes up at the first sight of Eve, his heart leaps. This creature that he sees in front of him is special. He recognizes her because she was so much like him, and yet she was different. She was different because she was differently made. She wasn't formed out of the dust of the ground, but from Adam's own body. So regardless of the difference, there is this sameness. She was unlike him, and yet she was his equal. She is family to him, bone of his bone and his very flesh and blood. And this is why a man leaves his mother and a father to become one with his wife. The covenant of marriage that we experience today mirrors the first man and the first woman seeing each other for the first time. That is special. And I want to take a step here and explore something so beautiful that my mind can't fully grasp it. Mike Mason, uh, in his book, The Mystery of Marriage, suggests that we can see some interesting parallels in our worship of God and our, um, act of, in the act of sex. See, we as individuals who follow Jesus, we strive to connect with God on so many levels. And there's probably none more as profound as us receiving communion. That is the symbolic partaking of the flesh of Christ, right? Joining with Jesus at his most sacrificial moment. Union with God on a deeply spiritual level. And now when we think about sex with a spouse... There is nothing more humble or selfless than undressing before your lover, uncovering everything, and then joining together as one. This might be our most wonderful act of worship that we can do as partners in marriage. With no shame, we join together and we celebrate oneness. We strive to bring pleasure to each other. And God is pleased with us in this act. And so, you see how a casual encounter with a stranger, an encounter that is selfish, an encounter with pornography, you see how these things, they cannot glorify God or His design for us. But, when we engage in the selfless act of love with our marriage partner, we experience the greatest 
gift of all. Let me, let me quote Mike Mason from his book. Besides being a way of defining humanity, sexual intercourse is also, strangely enough, a way of defining God. For to call God the author of sex is not just to say that he invented it as he invented or created everything else in the world. It is to say, more importantly, that sexual love has its source in God's own being, in his nature. And that in the same way that human beings, body and soul, are a unique reflection in this world of God's very self and character, so the sex act itself may be said to be in God's likeness fashioned in his own image. In the beginning, after all, the two genders were already joined in one body. It is the male and the female together who constitute the image of God in a more profound sense than either of them standing alone. And sexual intercourse remains as an emblem and an actual remnant of the original condition of humanity as it first emerged from the dust, fresh formed, in the Lord's hand. The beauty of marriage is that two partners reflect the very image of God. And the beauty of sex is that we celebrate God's original creation. When we stray away from the design or the intent that God has for us, we lose out. It may seem as though casual encounters are freeing and satisfying, but they are not. They are a far cry from the full blessing that God has for us. The temptation to live as our culture does is real. There are many factors that may cause us to consider straying from God's purpose in marriage, but but every single one of those are mere attempts to answer a craving of our own body. If we're not yoked with the Spirit, if we're not led by the Spirit, then we might fall. We might be be persuaded to answer those cravings in unhealthy ways. The unfortunate reality is that with every encounter that we have outside of our marriage bed, we bring upon our marriage, whether we're married now or we hope to be married in the future, we bring upon our marriage trouble and strife and frustration and difficulty, all of which keep us from knowing what God has for us. And that is, of course, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's in these things that Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that our sinful cravings are crucified with Christ. And here's how this works out. When we unite with a lover for selfish reasons, we get what we get. Right? We have an orgasm. This harkens back to that study I referenced earlier from the New York Times. Sex is just reduced to something less than it actually can be. But if we engage with our partner, thinking of their interests and their pleasure, their experience selflessly, then we experience growth and love and joy. And the more that we experience those fruits in our relationship, the more we love selflessly. And the process begins that develops this deep and passionate and fulfilling relationship. The fight that we have before us is to consider our lives in terms of what God desires. Do we believe that he has our very best interests in mind? And will we pursue them in our marriage and our sex? Or do we believe that we can find satisfaction somewhere else? 
I want to invite uh, a couple of folks up here so that we can um, answer some questions that you may have had. I don't know if you were um, texting in the middle of it. I'm sure that you were so engrossed in what I was saying, you didn't think to pull out your device. Um, but uh, uh, Christine Kress is coming up. She is our, our connections pastor, and she has a lot to offer us in terms of uh, preparing and waiting to be marriage and, and to entering into that space. And then Melissa Schaefer is here. I've asked her to come. She has a deep background in counseling and prayerfully considering um, these issues with other folks. And so I've invited them to come and help us with these questions. So let's start. All righty. First question is, how can someone be set free from the spiritual and emotional bonding that occurred when they were sexually connected to others outside of marriage? That's a good question. How can someone be set free from the spiritual and emotional bonding that occurred when they were sexually connected to others outside of marriage? Um, I don't know if you guys have insight here. Uh, I think for me, this is it's, it's just a long process, quite frankly. It's a process of surrendering. Um, and, and basically letting go of uh, the things that you may have held on to in the past and, uh, and, and submitting those things to your uh, spouse, to your partner, submitting them to God and, and allowing the Lord to speak into those uh, areas of emotion and pain um, that need to be healed. There's not a really good answer to this, to be honest with you. Uh, but I do know that God heals, and that's from personal experience. God heals uh, those places where where we may have made missteps. Um, it's just a process of surrender to him. Any? I would just add that, um, I mean, this, that could be a whole other message, right? We could make that a transformation service some Friday night. And, good... But, yeah, just cutting free from those sexual soul ties, um, cleansing our imagination of those kinds of experiences, whether it was pornography or other people. There's There's all types of very practical ways you can... Um, just kind of get free from those things and the impact it's had on you in a spiritual way. But, and, I, and not to argue with Jeremy, but I wouldn't necessarily say that we tell our spouses everything Fair. from our sexual history. Um, that's definitely a place to use wisdom and get counsel for. That's fair. I know because uh, from personal experience, I didn't enter into marriage. I'm sure white snow. Um, had some experiences before that, some that I wanted and some that I didn't ask for. And I came with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, and I relied heavily on the grace and the mercy of God and coming to just be cleansed and calling back all those pieces that were spread out and just asking God to reclaim the things that I didn't have the wisdom at the time to know how to protect. That's good. Very good. All right, next question. Can a couple make a commitment to each other and to God without having a wedding ceremony or getting a piece of paper from the government? Isn't the promise more important than the legality or the ceremony? You know, I think this is a, a good question. It's one, <clears throat> excuse me, that I think a lot of people ask. And I, I would say that um, it's a cheap 
it's a cheap way to get out of really making a commitment to a person. And there's, there's a whole lot to, that goes into a wedding ceremony uh, before the actual ceremony um, happens, uh, whether it's through premarital counseling, uh, writing of vows, considering what the commitment is to your partner that you're willing to make. And then the actual event, what you're doing is you're standing up in front of other people saying, I commit these things to this person. That's a very significant ritual that we we have. And so I think that, um, yeah, people think that they can, but I, I really don't think it's healthy because um, it doesn't solidify, I believe, uh, the, the, the relationship between a couple unless um, that ceremony is, uh, it's not the ceremony, it's really the act of going through the whole process, I, I would say. So, anything? Seriously, everything that God did is based on covenant. Can you imagine if he called the Israelites out to do all these things but never actually made a covenant with them? You may have my word on this, but you may not. I may change my mind. I may not. The covenant of marriage is something that you are declaring publicly, not only to your spouse-to-be, but in front of God and to the public that what I am promising on this day I will do. Hence why we wear the rings. It's not because we can go around and go, oh, your husband must love you a lot because look at the diamonds you've got. That's not what it's about. It's, and I say this in all the marriage ceremonies that I perform. It's like, this is a covenant, a reminder to you and to all others that what you will do today, you will do for the rest of your life. It's a reminder. So I don't understand how you can say that you're committed to one another without covenant. Very good. This one might be a little quicker because I feel it's kind of a follow-up to what we just had. But I know you said today isn't about divorce or singleness, but what is the difference between sex with someone you're engaged to or have been in a long-term relationship with and will be married to and someone you are currently married to? I really think this goes back to the previous question. Um, I I know that uh, the temptation that a lot of us have is that we might say, well, I'm, I'm committed to marry this person, so you know, what, why not just go ahead and step into the sexual part of this relationship? And, and it's, it's just a temptation that we have uh, to, to fulfill whatever selfish desire that we may want, uh, whatever craving that we want. And, and I think there's just something about waiting and um, saving that moment for the actual com- commitment and covenant of marriage. Um, uh, otherwise, it's really just a cheap copy of, of what it's going to be once that commitment is solidified uh, in your lives as a couple. Very good. How would you counsel a person whose spouse is withholding sex from them? That is a great question. Um, I'm going to hand this off to someone else. Go ahead, Melissa. <laughs> I told Jeremy I'd only do this if he gave me the easy questions, but... Um, let's see. If uh, there's not sex going on in our marriages, then that's definitely an indicator of a lack of intimacy and, and some other problems, right? There's all kinds of reasons. Unless someone is physically unable to be sexual with their spouse, there's um, actually a scripture in First Corinthians 7 that talks about we aren't to do that and we're not to withhold sex. And we can um, definitely do that for seasons for fasting and that sort of thing. But if, if it's a sexless marriage, and I think it's becoming a growing problem in our um, culture, just based on the people that I've talked with and uh, been able to, to help walk some of the, through some of these things, 
it's just tough. Um, it can be for all sorts of reasons. It's not necessarily a problem um, in the relationship. It might be an unhealed place for that person in their past, but it could also be just an indicator of issues in the marriage. Mm-hmm. Definitely a place to get counseling. Yeah, I think I would, I would, uh, that's a great thing. I think it's an indicator of an issue that's going on uh, in the marriage. And, and so it's, it's one of those just flags that you may want to raise up and say, we need to deal with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also say that uh, part of uh, being committed to someone in marriage is that we don't think about ourselves first, but we think about the needs of our partner. And if we are, um, if we're withholding sex from them, then clearly we're not thinking about the needs of our partner. You know, what, what's going on? Is there, is this a manipulative tap, um, thing that's going on or, mm-hmm. you know, there's any number of reasons. And, uh, and I think it's an indication of our own, um, submission to God when we do something like this. And so, um, I always want to, you know, like really pry in deep. What, what is the reason that this is happening? And, um. Because it, it really shouldn't be. It's you know, scripture is clear. We should not withhold uh, sex from our partners. Um, we should be uh, trying to uh, satisfy their needs, uh, their cravings. That's what marriage is for. Part of the reason that marriage is for. All right. Uh, depending on how quick you are on this one, this will be our second to last question. But we shall see. What are some practical things a single person can do in preparation for a fulfilling marriage? I'll take this one. Okay. <laughs> I'm still hoping this would come up. Um, whenever I was 20, my dream was that my plan was I would be married by 18, a day after graduating, have six to eight children before I was 30, and just live the good life. Uh, whenever I was 20, I heard my first words from God, and they were, be patient. I thought, okay, I can wait six months. Not a problem. Four years passed. Six months. 12 years passed, 18 years passed. On the end of the 20th year, the Lord decided to bring my spouse. Hi, David. (laughs) In that time, there was a lot of fluctuation of I'm bitter, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm frustrated, I'm all these things. But when I stopped looking at it like it was a punishment from God and started to realize that it was a gift from God, my heart attitude changed. And in that time, rather than being bitter and feeling sorry for myself, I started to pursue God. Because I thought, if I can't be your bride first, I will never know how to be a man's wife. So I asked the Lord to teach me how to be a wife. And he ironically took me to the Song of Songs, the Book of Solomon. And he taught me about romance, He taught me about sex. There's two chapters where you watch this couple have full-on sex. I can understand why Jewish boys weren't allowed to read this till they were 13, because this is full-on. He taught me the importance of me and not settling. Because there were so many people around me, including my parents, that were going, just pick someone, for heaven's sakes, just, you know, I want grandbabies, just, what's the matter with him? Well, that's not what I'm looking for, but I had to find out what was I looking for most of all. Who am I? I had to realize that you had to spread the, sheep, the wheat and the shaft from each other because there was a lot of people that said, thus saith the Lord, you're supposed to marry me. Well, if that was the case, I would be living in a colony of men <laughs> because thus saith the Lord had sent 15 men to say, you're supposed to be my wife. <laughs> 
And if I didn't know who I was in Christ, if I didn't know my value to Christ as his bride, I would have picked the first clown that came through town, like many of my friends did, who are now living bitter lives because they settled. Don't let time gauge your value. Let God celebrate who you are. Use this time to find out who you are and to fall more in love with Christ because there's things I can tell you on this side of marriage now. There are things that I could do with Christ in singlehood that I can't do in married. Because now the two have become one and now my focus is my husband. So don't worry about time. Don't worry about finding the right one. Just keep your heart open to the Lord. And one day, when you least expect it, there you'll be. Yeah, that's a great answer. I love, especially, Christine, where you're talking about really discovering who you are, um, your identity in Christ. I I would also add to it um, that we we don't only find joy in sex. And it's certainly a wonderful thing. It's a pleasurable thing. But... um, as a single person, we can find joy and we can discover more about Christ in many other ways. And, and, uh, and so I think it's important for us to, to try and uh, satisfy our desires in other ways that are healthy and um, faithful to, to the commitment that you've made to Christ. And, and so I, 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 it's, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, it's, there's too many for me to enumerate here, but... Um, yeah, I would suggest, you know, if it's uh, through exercise or hobbies or um, even learning more about Christ, there's, there's so many different ways that we can experience not just joy, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control uh, that are separate from uh, the relationships that we may have with uh, our spouse. And so it's, it's important for us to find those other avenues and, and learn to lean into Christ in those ways as well. Very good. Let me give you this last one and also just open it up to your closing comments before we head into worship. And just to let you know, uh, if you ask the question that did not get answered, I would encourage you to listen to our podcast. We put the Q&A from both services on the end of uh, our podcast each and every week. And uh, our last question uh, also has a statement. I was impacted by your story about the girl at the concert seeing the T-shirt. How can we teach and share abstinence in a way that is relational and not condemning? Yeah, this has been one of the things that I feel like I've been tasked with as a youth pastor. Um, How do I communicate uh, the value of saving yourself for marriage and your spouse without shaming people? Uh, And and it is it is difficult, uh, I I think, especially if someone has already um, maybe you know had sex or um, whatever. Uh, And so. I think that, that for me, uh, a lot of times I will live in a space when I'm teaching students about this uh, of uh, grace and mercy and the healing that comes um, from Christ and that, that in, in every area of our life where we uh, have sin, uh, that, that the grace and the mercy of Christ and his blood that he shed on the cross covers all of those things and that uh, when we can really experience healing, uh, and and then enter into a relationship with a spouse um, in in marriage and all that kind of stuff, uh, then we will really know and understand the the truth of Jesus. I'm not really answering this question very well right now, um, and this is usually what I do when I'm talking to students about it because it's kind of hard. So, is any, do, you, do you girls have anything yeah. that you I may? I just say that um, I 
focus more on what led them to that place where they were vulnerable and what were they looking for and what is it really the deep need that they're asking Jesus to come and fill now and to help them kind of recognize it in terms of what's really going on, what was I really wanting, and how can I get that with Jesus? Yeah, I think that's good. I I would say, just to add, um, I would spend a lot of time building into their value. That if a person knows their value, they won't be tempted to give away the greatest gift that they have, which is their full body of intimacy. They won't be so willing to just hand it away so easily. They'll know to protect it. They'll know to honor it. Um, and that's what value is. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good. Well, we're going to um, enter into worship. And I, I really just want to end um, by saying this morning that, uh, that this act of sex and, um, you know, the, the sanctity of marriage, uh, there's such beautiful things that God has given to us. And, and, um, and I, I really hope that when we... Um, love our spouses when we engage with them in um, whether it's physical or emotional or you know just relationally when we engage with them how we love them is a true reflection of Christ and how he loves us and so uh, the encouragement that I want us to give is or or that I want to give to to all of us this morning is that uh, let us be uh, men and women who who really live as Christ uh, lived for us um, let us be um, the, the selfless lover to our spouses. Uh, let us engage with each other in ways that bring a deeper sense of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and in that faithfulness peace where we are faithful to believe that God is going to uh, fulfill all the desires and cravings that we have through our spouse. Um, so... Let's let's join in and worship God and and uh, just honor Him with our with our words and, and our songs this morning. Church, the call that we're given is to bind our hearts and our bodies, our spirits together, so that we can live as Christ has called us to. That we can be led by the Spirit, and so our cravings don't take control of us, but rather we are controlled by the Spirit. That's what I ask of you today in your relationships, in your marriages, in your singleness, in whatever position you are in life. Be led by the Spirit. Now go and be a blessing, church. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.